Father, thank you so much for what a beautiful sunny day. We thank you that you give to us so much joy in life because we are your children. Thank you for the ways that you bless us, that you meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Uh, that there isn't anything that we lack as believers in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for the fullness of the Holy Spirit who can come and dwell in us and really give to us just that down payment on glory of what heaven is going to be like. I pray that today that you would speak to our hearts, uh, that you would challenge us in, in many ways. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, last week I shared with you a verse that really kind of, um, I think this is going to be my verse for the next six months, okay? And it's uh, 3 John f- verse 4, and it simply says this, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. I want you to know the truth. I want you to follow the truth. I want you to have a true perspective on life, uh, a true worldview, not a false worldview, not, not a false perspective on life. We talked about this last week. I don't want you to, to have that perspective, that false perspective of materialism that simply says <coughs> that I've got to have it all. I don't want you to have that false view of individualism that says, you know what, it's all about me and my needs and my wants and my desires. I don't want you to have that that false worldview of hedonism that says life really consists of getting as much pleasure and as much fun out of life as you possibly can. I don't want you to have the the false worldview of pragmatism that says, you know, whatever works, that's what you need to do. Just make sure that it works. I don't want you to have the false perspective of naturalism that says there is no God or humanism that says I am God. Instead, what I want for you is I want you to have a biblical worldview that says that God exists, that God created all of the universe, that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives, and that we find great joy and meaning and purpose in life when we follow God's plan for our life, when we pursue His way in our life. That's what I want for you. I want to know that you are following the truth. What I'm talking about here is absolute truth. That fact that there is truth that can be known. Um, you know, that what was true from the very beginning of time was true 2,000 years ago, was true today, and will be true 2,000 years from now. We want to know the truth. Unfortunately, here in America, we're going through what I would call an epidemic, and not this COVID crisis thing. But what we're really experiencing in our, in our land is an epidemic of truth decay. Truth decay. Uh, we, we've just let truth get away and erode, and we don't believe the truth anymore. John, uh, in John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus said this. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, there isn't a day goes by that we don't hear people talking about our freedoms, our rights, and, and all those kinds of things that is so important, freedom. Well, what I want you to know is that freedom comes from truth. Uh, and the more you know the truth, the freer you are. And the opposite is also true. The more you give up on truth, the more you're going to forfeit your freedom. And I think as a nation... 
we're in the process of losing our freedoms because we're giving up on truth. Truth doesn't seem to matter much anymore. And so today I want to continue this the study that we've begun on gaining a new perspective, gaining a right perspective, or really a, a right worldview. And again, we talk about worldview. Worldview is what I believe that drives my life, that, that relates into you know, how, how, I, uh, how I act, how I behave. Uh, a worldview incorporates what I believe about myself, what I believe about God and about the world in which we live, what I believe about evil, what I believe about relationships, material things. It's what I believe in life, and it impacts everything that I do. And so our world is suffering from what I call truth decay. I mean, if, if we really want to order our life by the truth, then maybe the question that we need to ask, how do I know the truth? Where can I find the truth? And so we're going to look at that this morning. And maybe to begin with, what we ought to look at is what then are some of the, uh, the signs of this truth decay in our culture. Th this phrase, truth decay, kind of really exemplifies what has been happening in our society over the, I would say, the last 60 or 70 years or so. Um, slowly, little by little, imperceptibly, uh, there's been an erosion of truth in our society. Truth is no longer holds much weight at all. It's no longer the foundation of our society. I mean, think about it. 60, 70 years ago, just everybody knew what was right and what was wrong. They might not be doing the thing that is right, but at least they knew they were doing wrong. And today, it's totally different. There's a lot of people today who don't seem to know the difference between right and wrong. And, and for heaven's sakes, uh, they do not believe in absolute truth, that something is is you know, is right or something is wrong. We've, we've come to that point that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That's a part of our society today. It's a part of what's called the postmodern world, or maybe the even better word would be relativism. That's where we are as, as a nation. We're, we're at a point of relativism, and relativism says this, what is true for you may not be true for me. And what is right for me may not be right for you. We've, we've got this kind of thing. And it's a very convenient philosophy because if you think about it, it means I can do whatever I want to do. I'm kind of let off the hook if you think about it. Because there's no objective standard of behavior. What's right for me may not be right for you, so forth. I can do whatever I want to. I mean, let's think about it. What if you left here this morning? And you went out and, and you decided, I want to get on I-80. And, um, and so you, you went out there, and instead of getting on the on-ramp, you turned on the off-ramp. And you're trucking in the wrong direction, going into traffic, headed for maybe even a fatal wreck. But you're sincere in what you're doing. But you're sincerely wrong in, in that approach. And so you're driving and you're thinking, man, I'm doing the right thing here. Can you imagine the audacity of some driver who honks at you and yells at you and saying, wrong way, you're going the wrong way, going the wrong way. And, and you would say, how dare you tell me I'm going the wrong way? It's the right way for me, whether it's the wrong way for you or not. Well, that's where we are in our society today. We, we've, we've turned things completely around and uh, 
we're, we're totally confused. Truth has de- is decaying in our, in, our, in our world. And that's what relativism is. It's built on the idea that there are no absolutes. Now, think about with me the logic of saying that, that there are no absolutes. You know what I just said? I just made an absolute statement. Right? So that's the, how illogical it is. Not only is it illogical, but it's really unusable. It doesn't work at all. It's irrational. Because the whole world in which we live works on principles of what is right and, and what is wrong. And uh, if, you, if you say that there's, you know, there's no such thing as right, no such thing as wrong, our life doesn't work because every single second of the day we're working on things that are right and things that are wrong. I mean, think about it. You go to the pharmacy to get a prescription filled and you don't go up to the pharmacy and say, oh, just give me something. Anything will do, right? And you'd be blown away if that pharmacist would say to you, well, um, I don't have exactly what you need, but I got something that's sort of like it. I mean, what you need is for your back, but this works for the head, but I think it's all good. No, you want him to give you precisely what you, what you ask for, what you need, and in the right dosage, in the right amount. You want it to be absolutely true, right? Um, have you ever, many of us play Scrabble. Have you ever played Scrabble and you've had to refer to an absolute standard? Somebody says, hey, the word that I'm putting down is uh, snivel fritzer. And it's a great word. It's worth 57 points. And you say, I've never heard the word snivel, I can't even say it, (laughs) snivel fritzer, snivel fritzer. And somebody says, yeah, I use it all the time. What do you do? You consult an absolute dictionary. Sure. And you go in there and if it's not in the dictionary, it's not a word. It doesn't matter how many points you're going to get for it. Okay. What has happened in our world is that we now value tolerance more than we value truth. We want you to be tolerant. We don't want you to necessarily be truthful. The supreme value of our culture is that of tolerance. <clears throat> it's more important that you be tolerant than you be truthful. In fact, if you're truthful, you might con- be considered to be intolerant because you told the truth. Uh, see, what we've done is we've redefined the word tolerance in our, in our, in our dictionary. Uh, tolerance used to mean that you and I could totally disagree about something, but we would still treat each other with respect. That, you know, you, might, you and I might totally disagree on politics or on, on morality or whatever, but there's still going to be some politeness between us in that. That was tolerance in, back in the day, okay? But our society has changed the meaning of tolerance. Tolerance today means that all ideas are equally valid. All ideas are equally valid. And you know what? That's nonsense. Because all ideas are not equally valid. I could say the earth is flat, and you could say it's round, and it doesn't make both those statements correct. Because it can't be flat and it can't be round at the same time. So there are things that are absolutely wrong, and there are things that are absolutely right. There are things that will always be true, and there are things that always will be false. And folks, it is not judgmental to tell the truth. You're not judging somebody because you're telling the truth. So what happens in our lives 
when we allow truth to decay, when we, when we let go of truth. I want to give you four results I see in our society for this truth decay out there, okay? Uh, you see them throughout society, and you're going to see these in your life if you start letting go of the truth in your life. The first one of these is immaturity. Immaturity. <clears throat> immaturity happens when we give up on the truth and we begin to, to value tolerance more than, than the truth. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it, but you watch television and what do you see? A lot of immaturity. There's a lot of immaturity going on out there. One of the ways that we see immaturity is this unwillingness in our country of accepting responsibility. You know, one of the marks of maturity is I accept responsibility. And when there's no right or wrong, I mean, when, when there's no standard of true and false, um, then we all act in irresponsible ways. We can just act like a kid or a, uh, you know, a, a, a juvenile teenager of some sort because there's no right or wrong. And since there's no right or wrong, I can pass the buck. I can blame somebody else for, for my problems. Uh, that's a part of, of being irresponsible, blaming other people. Um, I can expect other people to take care of me. Isn't that what a, a child does? You know? And so I'm going to leave it up to the government or somebody else to solve the problems in my life because I'm not responsible for me. That's where we are in our society, and that's immaturity. It's this idea that I can act this way one day, and I can act that way the next day. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He said this. He says, I want you to no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. So you see, the ability to know the difference between right and wrong is a sign of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. And our society carries these marks of immaturity. I hope you agree with me because I see it everywhere. But even more importantly, we need to ask the question, what about you? What about me? Ask ourselves, when in my life am I acting childishly? Where is the, some, some semblance of immaturity in my life? When, when do I tend to be irresponsible? Where are areas in my life where I'm passing the buck or, or putting blame on somebody else? Um, you see, immaturity is a mark of, of, of the truth decay that's going on in our society. Second thing is that of what I would call immorality. And when I say immorality, I'm not just talking about sexual immorality. Because immorality just means there are no morals at all. And so there are lots of areas in our life where there are, people are not acting with any kind of morality whatsoever. And think about it. If there's no standard of what's right and what's wrong, then anything goes. Over in the book of Judges, the, the writer describes a time in the life of Israel when anything goes, when, when there was, you know, just... No truth, just anything goes. And so Judges chapter 21, verse 25. <clears throat> in those days, Israel had no king. In, some, in other words, there was no standard by which to weigh behavior, thinking, actions. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. 
Doesn't that sound like our, our culture today? Whatever goes. If there's no standard of right or wrong, uh, anything goes. If there's no truth, then I become the center of my universe and I make the rules and I get to decide what I want to do and what I don't do because now it's all about me. That's the world in which we live. And that's a sign of, of truth decay in our world. Again, <laughs> there in Ephesians 4, in verse 19, Paul said this. And he's talking about those who have rejected God. He says, they don't care anymore about right or wrong. And they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. In other words, they say, you know what? I don't care what God says. Uh, you know, if there's no right or wrong, then it doesn't matter whatever I want to do. You know, God says, hold sex until marriage, don't steal. But hey, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm responsible to nobody. And so I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to make up my own truth. Uh, here's how truth decay really works, if you think about it. When you do something wrong, the very first time, man, all sorts of warning bells and whistles go off. And you know, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. But over time, every time you do that, it gets easier and easier and easier. And before long, you know, it doesn't bother you anymore that you're lying to your husband or you're lying to your wife or to your parents or, or, or to your children. It just gets easier and easier to do. That's truth decay. And think about it. The more immoral, which again means there's no morals in our society. The more immoral, uh, the more immoral a society becomes, the easier it begins it is to mock that which is true, that which is right, uh, that which is good. You see that on TV all the time, don't you? Mocking morality, mocking the truth. Uh, the writer of Proverbs said this, and this is from the message paraphrase, Proverbs 14:9. It says, the stupid ridicule right and wrong. Oh, that's where we are in America today. So how do you know in your own life when truth decay is, is, is striking? Well, one of the things that happens is you start to rationalize things. And, and when you rationalize things, you know what you're really doing? You're telling rational lies. That's what rationalize means. You're telling rational lies to make excuses for your behavior, to make excuses for what you've done in your life. You're making excuses in your mind for what your heart is telling you is wrong. But I'm going to rationalize it, okay? So how do, you, <clears throat> how do you know when there's truth decay in your life? Well, ask yourself, you know, what am I trying to rationalize in my life? Are there some things that I've done and now I'm trying to rationalize the way, why they happen? And I, I'm not maybe talking about obvious sins, but I'm talking about the little things. Uh, you know, that, that sign of truth decay where you're, you're telling those little white lies. You're, you're kind of excusing things here and there. And so there's immorality and there's immaturity. And here's a big one. The third one is unreality. Unreality. Unreality is a sign of truth decay. Uh, I'm just not in touch with reality in my life anymore. See, when, when people stop believing in truth, they believe in anything. Um, when they stop believing right or wrong, true or false, um, they become extremely gullible. 
and they fall for anything and everything that comes comes along. And you know, there are people out there, folks, who would rather put more trust in a crystal hanging from the windshield of a car than they'll put their trust in God. It's just a rock. Come on, folks. And yet they put more trust in that or in tea leaves or in their horoscope or something like that. Uh, there's all sorts of questionable superstitions out there. And they say, I'm going to trust that. Why? Because they think it's easier to trust that than to trust in Jesus Christ, who knows better. Um, I mean, there are people out there, folks, who don't believe in God, but, man, they're the first to believe in a UFO. That's where they are. Uh, let me tell you a story. I, I maybe have shared this with you before. This happened a number of years ago in, of all places, San Francisco. <laughs> okay. For those of you from California, please accept my apology for that. Um, but one day in a park in San Francisco, there suddenly appeared this stone edifice, this, this kind of round-shaped thing with kind of a, a rounded top, and it just suddenly appeared one day in the middle of the park. Well, some of the people in San Francisco thought this was an extraterrestrial visitation by some kind of God, and they thought this was a God that needed to be worshipped. And so they began bringing gifts and offerings to this stone thing sitting in the middle of the park. Put a fried egg on the top and flowers and other kinds of food as they were worshiping this stone thing. About a week later, the city works department finally admitted, nope, that's a traffic barrier that fell off of one of our trucks that was working in the park. It is not an extraterrestrial visitation by God. But that's where people go. They just become unreal in their, in their thinking. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. Again from the message paraphrase. Since they refuse to trust truth, and that's where we are in our country today. Since they refuse to trust truth, they're, ban they're banished to their chosen world of lies and illusions. Boy, that's a description of America in 2022. A world of lies and disillusions. And, and think about this, since we're talking about disillusions or, or, or lies or whatever. Who in our society are the most adored people? It's actors and actresses, right? Uh, here, are, These are not the real heroes. The teachers, the soldiers, the firefighters, the policemen, the health workers. Those are the real heroes, and yet our heroes tend to be actors and actresses. And think about this. What we're doing is we're worshiping masters of pretension. These are people who, who are, make a huge salary putting one over on us getting us to believe in fictitious things. They're masters at faking it. That's what acting is all about. It's, it's faking a performance. It's faking a scenario. And we're buying into that. How do you know when there's truth decay in your life? I'll tell you how you find yourself faking it. You find yourself pretending to be something you're not. Um, you're acting like something you're not. And, and so, again, we need to ask ourselves, where am I in my life? Where am I faking it? Where am I pretending to be something that I'm really not? Where, where am I playing games? Trying to fake people into, into believing something about me. 
That's a sign of truth decay. And then the last one is the word illegality. And what do I mean by that? I'm saying <clears throat> that if there's no standard of what's right or wrong, then everything could be considered legal. I mean, think about it. All of our law, laws in our land are built on the idea that there are things that are right and that there are things that are wrong. But if there's no right, there's no wrong, then there's no law. Everything becomes legal. Um, it doesn't matter if you smash and grab jewelry in a jewelry store. It doesn't matter if you burn down a whole half city block because you're angry at, at something. That's illegality. I mean, we've come to the point in our, in our country where wrong is right if the cause seems just. God help us. God help us. See, when truth goes out the window and there's no standard of what's right or wrong, uh, then you'll go after anything and anything becomes legal. The writer of Proverbs, Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Um, a number of years ago, there was a, a court trial in Maryland. A, a state employee had been convicted of uh, stealing money out of the state pension fund. I mean, stole thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And the U.S. Uh, prosecutor was able to get him sentenced, guilty verdict, and it was largely brought, brought about because he had three mistresses and they were all out to get him because he had, he had cheated on them and so forth. And the prosecutor said this. He said, when we look for white-collar criminals, we know that if their life is a lie, then it's not confined just to their personal life. If they're lying to their wives, there is a huge potential they're also lying to their colleagues to their board of directors, to their auditors. Wow, did you catch that phrase? If you're lying in one area of your life, chances are very good that you're lying in another area of your life. Oh, that's the effect of truth decay. Um, some of you are falling for what I call the, um, the Titanic myth. The Titanic myth is that if you can compartmentalize this stuff in my life, then all is going to be well. It's going to be good, you know. Uh, if I can just keep it compartmentalized. Uh, you really realize that until the Titanic was built, ships were built with an open hull. In other words, the hull was completely open under the deck. And so if the side of the ship or the front of the ship or the back of the ship was breached, the whole hull would fill with water and it would sink. And so the thought was with the Titanic that we're going to build compartments in this ship. And if one compartment gets breached and it fills with water, the rest of the ship is not going to sink. And there are a lot of people who think, you know, if I just keep my life compartmentalized, I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to sink in my family, my career, my reputation. I'm just going to keep it compartmentalized. Uh, guess what? The Titanic still sunk. Because they, it was a technical flaw in the way they created it. They made it. Uh, and, and so it was compartmentalized, but it still sunk. And, and so the theory is that, man, we can take on a little water in this area of our life, but it's not going to sink our whole life. Folks, if you get compartmentalized in your life, you're headed for a titanic disaster in your life. You can't do that. You know, I've got this little thing going on over here, but it's not going to affect the rest of my life. Or I've got this thing going on at work. Or I'm kind of seeing this gal on the, on the side, you know, cheating on my wife or whatever. I'm going to get away with it. 
It's not going to sink my family. It's not going to sink my career, my reputation. Folks, don't go there. Don't go there. If you're trying to keep things tucked away in your life, compartmentalized, you're headed for disaster. Now, why does that matter to me? Well, because when you compartmentalize your life, there's a word for that. And that is the word, a lack of integrity in your life. You know, that word integrity comes from the word integer, which means one, complete, whole. Uh, Integrity means that your, your entire life is whole, it's complete, it's integrated. It's not in any way compartmentalized. Um, you can't have integrity in your life if you've, if you've got your life compartmentalized. You know, here's my sex life, here's my family life, uh, here's my church life, here's my work life, and over here is my pornographic life. You can't have that. If you've got your life compartmentalized, you lack integrity. You know, integrity says what you see is what you get, that you are acting the same way with your children that you act at work with your colleagues, that you act the same way when you go to a party as you do when you go to church. <clears throat> you are the same. You're not a fake. You're not a phony. You're the same with everyone. That's what integrity is really all about. So what about you and me personally? Are there some areas where we're trying to cheat on the edges of our life? Not the big things, but maybe just the little things. The, the, you know, the, again, the telling of the little white lies. That's what Ill- illegality is all about. So folks, truth decay is wreaking havoc in our society, in our businesses, in our families, in our lives. So what's the solution? Let's, let's talk about that just for a moment. First of all, we've got to learn to reverse the tide. And how do we reverse the tide of this truth decay? Well, it's not going to be through politics. It's not going to be through legislation. Instead, it's going to be when the people of God become people of the truth and stand for what is true. You know, the Bible calls it being salt and light in this world. Uh, Being people who stand for truth in in this relativistic, postmodern, anything goes kind of society in which we live. So again, let's go back to that question at the very beginning. So if we're going to stand for truth, where can we learn the truth? Where do we find truth? Is there a way to know the truth? Absolutely, there's a way to know the truth. In fact, there, <clears throat> there's at least four ways in which you and I can know the truth. Um, but first of all, it starts with an attitude of openness that we have to say, I want to know the truth more than anything else, even if it's uncomfortable to know the truth. So absolute truth can be, can be known. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let me mention four ways to know the truth. Number one, we can know the truth through what has been created. Look at the world of nature around us. Uh, in that, we learn about God. We learn a lot about truth. And we can do that just by looking at the created world. That's why science is so helpful to us, that we can understand the truth. We can understand how this world works. It helps us to understand God and the universe. Uh, God's Word tells us again in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes or His qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And I mentioned this last week. You look at nature, and you can learn a lot about God. First of all, we, we know that God loves variety. He loves diversity. Do you know that when God invented the beetle, 
he made 60,000 different types of beetles. You know, four or 500 would be enough. You know, George, Paul, Ringo, uh, you know, John, it, you know. He made 60,000 different kinds of beetles. Another thing about nature, we can look and, and we can realize God is powerful. Look at the forces of nature that we see and how God just through nature can work such powerful things. We can learn also that God is creative, that he loves diversity. He's powerful just by looking at, at nature. And through the discipline of science, biology and physics and so on, we can learn about God. Folks, there is no contradiction between the discoveries of science and faith in God the Father. There are contradictions through unproven scientific theories. But there, when science has made discoveries that are verified through evidence, there's no contradiction with, with faith. So we can know what is true through creation. Second thing, we can know what's true through our conscience, through the conscience they're just some things that are hardwired into us by God that we know are always right and things that are always wrong. And no matter what anybody else says, our conscience bears witness to that. <clears throat> it tells us what's right, what's wrong. Paul writing in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 said, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law. In other words, they didn't have a, a written out standard of what's right or wrong. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written, wrong, uh, written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience, and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. You know, if we, if we were to take a random sample uh, let's say we get a million people and we gather them on a street corner in New York City and give them a, a, a test, a moral test. And we tell them, okay, here's a 92-year-old woman who's legally blind. She has to use a walker. And she's wanting to cross this street. I want to give you three choices. First of all, would you just ignore her and leave her, you know, to just kind of do it on her own? Or second, would you help her or third, would you kick her into the traffic to get rid of her? You know what people would do. Instinctively, they would choose the right thing. That's because there's a moral code built into our conscience. That's the way that God wired us. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or Jew or Muslim or not even spiritual at all. Instinctively, you know what's the right thing to do. That's the way God has wired our conscience. Again, there, the last part of, uh, of that passage I just, just read, verse 15. They demonstrate God's law written in their heart. <clears throat> now, the problem <coughs> excuse me, with our conscience is that it is probably one of the least reliable sources of truth because the Bible teaches that our hearts can be weakened, it can be warped, it can be hardened, it can be perverted, it can even be killed, it, it, it can die. I mean, I would say that somebody like Adolf Hitler had a dead conscience. So the more I violate my conscience, the more out of whack it gets. It just gets easier and easier to do the wrong thing. But here's the point. There are some things that you and I know instinctively are right and wrong. That's the way that we, we are wired. We know what's right. We know what's, what's wrong. A third way that we can know what is true comes through God's commandments. Through God's commandments. And what I'm talking about there is the Scripture, the Bible. 
through what God tells us and, and the directions He gives us in the Bible, we can know the truth. Look at, at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God, and look at this, is useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. It teaches us to do what's right. So we can discover truth from the Bible. Now, maybe a question that, that you and I might need to ask at this point, well, how do we know the Bible is true? And if you've ever asked that question, I want to honor you for doing that, because we all need to always question. Is this true? And we need to investigate. Um, first of all, I know the Bible is true because of the difference it's made in my life. I know the Bible is true, secondly, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said it is true. But folks, there's also some objective truth out there about the truthfulness of the Bible. There's a world of objective evidence that, that really, really says that this book is true. There's external evidence, there's internal evidence. I mean, <coughs> excuse me, for instance, external evidence says that this is a historical book that you can rely on. Uh, the in internal evidence says that you can trust this book. So external evidence would be, for instance, how many existent ancient copies of the Bible do we have that we can say these were reliable and I can rely on this? I mean, think about it. Uh, Julius Caesar, back before Jesus Christ was even born, wrote what is called Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. And historians refer to that all the time as a truthful accounting of history. Well, there are only 10 ancient copies of those Gaelic Wars and the last one that was copied was copied a thousand years from the first one was written. And yet historians say, yeah, that's true. It's accurate to what was written a thousand years. Well, what about the Bible? You realize that we have 5,366 copies or portions of copies of Scripture that date all the way back to the 2nd or the 3rd century A.D., one of which is from 70 years after the close of the New Testament period. And so historians say Gaelic Wars, a thousand years from the first copy to these copies, and it's accurate. The Bible, we're getting so close and we have so much. And you say, well, wait a minute, you know, how do I know that what they're doing is, is accurate. Well, the truth of the matter is that these translators, when they're translating a, a new, newer meaning, you know, newer version to give better clarity to, to our day and time, to the way in which we use language, uh, they go back to those 5,000 different copies and they check to see, is this still accurate to those early copies? They compare it because that's external evidence. They want the scripture to be to be very clear and very accurate to what what was written. And, and why is that important? It's because we need to get rid of these urban legends that say, well, you know, a scripture evolved over these old centuries. It kept changing and people kept adding to it and putting in miracles and putting in all these myths about Christ being God and so forth. No, not at all. We can go back to copies that were written in the, the 200s and 300s and they're all accurate to what we have today. So that's the external evidence. You can also see it in archaeology. You can go through the Old Testament and you find all these lists of place names and so forth. Archaeology is finding those places all the time. Um, customs that were of that day and time. We learn 
yeah, these things that are happening in the Old Testament, they were true and accurate to whatever is there. So you can go back and you can verify the facts of the Bible through archaeology. But then there's the internal evidence that the Bible is, itself is true. <clears throat> internal evidence is simply the fact that something can be trusted. And one of those ways in which you can trust the Scripture is through eyewitnesses. Eyewitness accounts are very important to verifying truthfulness. Uh, secondhand, thirdhand truth, uh, you know, eyewitness, I mean, statements from people that heard somebody else say it are not even admissible in court. But if a prosecutor has, you know, two or three eyewitnesses, he's probably got a pretty good case. Well, the Bible is filled with eyewitness accounts. Do you realize that Moses was right there when the Red Sea split? And he wrote down about what happened. Uh, Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. And he wrote down what he saw. The disciples of Jesus, they were in the upper room and Jesus suddenly appeared unto them, resurrected Jesus. And they wrote it down because our scripture is filled with all sorts of eyewitness accounts. And, and the internal evidence is also the fact that the Bible is one story with consistency. I mean, here it is. It was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors writing on three different continents. And yet it's consistent with one story from beginning to end. God's love, His pursuing love that pursued a relationship with mankind from the very beginning, culminating in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and you can't account for that with human, from a human standpoint, that there is such consistency in all these books that were put together that we call the Bible. That's an internal evidence of the truthfulness of this book. And so, as true as this book is, folks, the truth doesn't matter much if you keep this book on the shelf. The Bible doesn't have shelf life, okay? You've got to take it off the shelf, and you've got to put it into your heart, into your life. That's why Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you hear me say, Get into this book. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Apply it to your life. Make it real in your life. This becomes your primary source for building a biblical worldview. Get into God's Word. And then fourth, how do we know what's true? We know what's true through Christ. Through Christ. So through creation, through conscience, through commandments, through Christ. You see, God came into this world in human form to personify truth. The Bible says Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so truth is not a principle, folks. Truth is a person. It's a person. Uh, truth is not, you know, relational. No, truth is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Truth is Jesus Christ. In fact, John 14, 6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is your memory verse for this week. If you remember last week, I gave you Proverbs 14, 21. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Well, that's your memory verse last week. But here's your memory verse for this week. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And notice... He says, I, I am the truth. He, and he's not saying religion. He's not saying race. He's not saying a ritual. He's not saying rules and regulation. 
He's saying, I, it's a person. It's truth is a person. He says, I am. It's, it's not that I might be, I could be, I hope to be, I wish to be, I'd like to be. No, he says, I am the truth. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the truth, not a truth, not part of the truth. He says, I am the truth. Uh, <clears throat> this, by the way, is what separates Jesus Christ from every other religious leader in the world. Um, he says, I am the truth. Every other leader, you know, said, I'm looking for the truth. I'm searching for the truth. I mean, Muhammad called himself, I am a prophet of the truth. I teach the truth. Buddha came along and he says, I am searching for the truth. And in fact, at the end of his life, Buddha says, I am still looking for the truth. Uh, you go to Hindu scripture and they say truth is very elusive. You've got to look for it. And you really don't know if it's over here. You don't know where it's over there. Um, all these different leaders saying, I'm teacher of the truth. I'm searching for the truth. I'm trying to find the truth. Jesus comes and he says, I am the truth. That, folks, is an incredibly divisive statement if you think about it. Because uh, he's either right or he's either wrong. Okay, he's either who he says he is or he is the biggest liar in history. Um, you know, a lot of people, they say, well, you know what? I, I don't know about Jesus. I, I, I think he was a great teacher. Well, folks, for Jesus to claim to be God. And for us to say he's a great teacher, those are incompatible. Somebody who says I'm a great teacher. Uh, I mean, I, somebody who says I'm God can't be a great teacher. Either that he's a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he is who he says he was. In other words, folks, if I were to stand up here today, I were to say, hey, I am Sam Crouch, and I'm a good teacher. Some of you could probably buy into that, say, yeah, I, I can agree with that. Or if, if I were to stand up here and say, I am Sam Crouch, and I am a man of God. And many of you would say, yeah, I, I can buy that. I, that. That works for me. Or I could say, you know, I'm Sam Crouch, and uh, I speak for God. And if so, yeah, that'll work. I, I can handle that. But if I were to stand up here and say, I am Sam Crouch, and by the way, I am God. Do you think that would change our relationship a little bit? Because then you would have to make a decision. You would have to decide... Is this guy wacko or is he true? You, you would have to decide. There would be a, a choice that you would, you would have, to, have to make in your life. I mean, if I were to stand up here and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there isn't a snowball's chance in hell that you're going to make heaven without me, you would say, hello, what's wrong with this guy, okay? That means either I'm a kook, you know, on the, on the order of somebody who says I'm Napoleon or I'm a fried egg or something like that. Or you'd have to say, he's a con man. He's trying to get something out of me, some money or something. Or you'd have to say, he is who he says he is. Those are the options. And so <clears throat> when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, he is either conning 2.54 billion people in the world who believes that he is the son of God or he's totally nuts or he is who he says he is the son of the living God um, there's no wiggle room there folks
there's somebody here today, and you've been coming to church, maybe for a long time. You've come with your wife or your husband, somebody else asked you to come. And you think you're in because you've been coming to church. But the reality is you've just been sitting on the fence. Wouldn't today be a great day to simply say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and I need to place my life and trust in Him. This would be a great day to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Savior and the Lord of your life. No more fence-sitting. No more playing games. Let me just decide for Jesus Christ today and surrender to Him completely. You could do that today. Folks, everybody is betting their life on something. I mean, atheists are betting their life that there is no God. And uh, if they're wrong, they're in trouble, right? I'm betting my life that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that life is found by believing in Him and in Him alone. Um, So what will you decide? My prayer for you is that you will choose Jesus Christ because He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. John chapter 3, verse 33 says, anyone who accepts his testimony, that is what he said about himself, can affirm that God is true. We want to know truth. It's found in Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Let's bow for prayer. Would you pray today? Just say, God, I'm stepping across the line today. Jesus Christ, I want to believe that you are the way. You're the truth. You're the life. I want to know the truth so the truth will set me free. I I want to believe it. I want to do it. I want to stand for the truth. I want to spread the truth wherever I can. I'm in. I'm putting my trust in you. In your name I pray. Amen.